Am I working? Uh-oh. Now we're in trouble. All right. Well, we're going to start this morning. We're going to do communion. We do that every Sunday morning. This is the time that we do it. One of the primary reasons that we do it is in communion with the Last Supper with Jesus Christ. The other reason we do it is because a lot of times during the week, we're all very busy. And we have great intentions of communion with God. And, uh, well, next thing we know, we're back to Sunday again. So we'll take a little bit of time here. The uh, makings for the uh, communion are on each side. Anybody who is a follower of Christ is welcome to take that. Um, as far as your kids, that's entirely up to the parent, as you know where they are, where they are at. Um, so take a couple minutes here. There's no particular rush, um, especially when I'm at the end of that tunnel. So you might want to take your time. Um, uh, so take a couple minutes, spend some time in prayer, and then when you're ready, uh, go up and take the ingredients, and we'll partake together. All right, as we know that the, during the Last Supper, Jesus talked to his disciples. And during that, uh, he knew what was coming. And he wanted to, uh, he talked to him and asked them as he tore off a piece of bread. He said to them to eat this in remembrance of my body, which will be given and torn for you. So with that, let's all partake. After a while, he took the blood, or the wine, and he asked him to take and drink this in remembrance of the blood that he is going to shed for us. So, let's uh, take that. There will be a pan or a cup container rolling around that you can drop these cups in. Now, Jesus could do that, that he was about to give sacrifice for us. Pain. We know that he suffered, we know that he died, we know that he was resurrected. One of the things that we always, and I always like to bring this up because I think we overlook this, is, is that we know Jesus was beaten. We know that he was flogged. We know that he was nailed to a cross. We knew that he was humiliated and, uh, and, and scorned. But one of the things that we forget, despite all of that suffering, one of the things where he suffered even more, beyond, beyond an imagination that I can't even, I, I can't even understand, I, I, beyond my grasp, but when he was separated while he was on the cross from God, when he suffered so much and was taking on so much of our sin that even God couldn't even look on him, his father had to turn away. I, 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 I can't even imagine the pain that would have been involved in that. So as we do our communion, as we celebrate that, and uh, let's always remember the sacrifice went far beyond just beating, went far beyond the humility. But he was separate. One of the things we don't have to worry about as followers of Jesus and Christians is that separation. So just try to imagine the Son of God and the pain that, that was, he had to have gone through for us. So, 
With that said, kids are dismissed. There is uh, no nursery. The uh, folks who run the nursery are not there. So if parents, you can use, the, there's a lounge back here if you so choose um, for the younger kids. Um, but that's in a, that, that's, I was told to announce that. So, now I got nothing to hide behind. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> All right, well, this morning, um, and that's yet to be determined, but Nick says you are lucky to be here because I'm preaching. Uh, we'll see how that goes. One thing I will probably explain a couple things up front so we all understand the rules is I am not a professional paid speaker. We'll clear that up right now. Yeah, I'm sure you will. Well, you, you'll, you'll get even more proof of that as this progresses. But one thing I am is I am completely in love with God. I am a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And my heart breaks for the loss. So that's a little bit of who I ain't. That's a bit of who I am. So with that said, let's see what we can do with this thing. We're going to preach this, or I'm going to preach this morning on parables, Matthew 13. Now, parables are stories. Stories are things that, well, we actually use them ourselves to make, we, uh, we use them for entertainment. Uh, we use them to make a point. Uh, we use them on our children. Uh, stories that have a purpose. Um, Chicken Little. Now, I'm going to date myself here, so you're all going to have to, well, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, stories like Chicken Little. Uh, stories like The Boy That Cried Wolf that I used to listen to. Um, I probably pronounced that wrong. My daughter always says I say wolf wrong. Uh, even The Three Pigs. These, these are children's stories, but they have a point. There's a purpose to these. They have a reason. Jesus used parables or stories every time he talked to the people. Every time he told them. He would use one or two or three. He used them. So I can imagine, we've only got a few of the parables, but can you imagine how many probably there are through all of Jesus' preaching? He, um, uh, you know, that's, I was going to mention something. Now this is one thing. One thing, Jesus and I have something in common. Well, one thing in particular, although, and, and my wife would have to acknowledge this, although she doesn't know it until I'm about to tell her. Um, we both tell stories. I, I tell stories. I'm always accused of telling stories, making stuff up, and stuff like that. The big difference is uh, Jesus' stories have a point. Mine are just... Well, usually more trouble than anything else. But, uh, but anyway, so we have, we have a connection in that area. So I wanted to make that personal uh, connection. One of the things that um, uh, you're going to have to give me some slack, as I talked about not being a professional, is I'm going to drift a little bit. I've made notes, and there's actually a whole bunch of them here. Uh, but don't get nervous, it's big print. So um, it's to help me try to stay on track. Because as I started to work on, uh, on these parables, 
Um, I tried to find, figure out how do you put all this, I mean, th there's a lot here. As you start looking at them and start paying attention to them and reading what Jesus is saying and all the rest of that, there's, there's, a, there's a wealth of stuff tied up in, this, in Matthew 13. So trying to do all this in one sermon uh, and, and try to make some significant uh, um, point out of all this was a challenge for me, and it probably will be a challenge when I'm done. Hopefully that uh, um, this, this will work out for both of us. Um, we're going to start out with one parable, the first parable that's in uh, Matthew 13. Uh, they should come up into the screen. And uh, Nick is going to come up and read this first uh, parable about the farmer uh, and the seed. And then we'll explore that a little bit. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil and underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. All right. What's this parable? Well, it's talking about fertile soil, unfertile soil, it's talking about shallow soil, and all the rest of that. We... Uh, we have, we have uh, Jesus actually explains to us what he means by this. So we don't have to guess um, what he's referring to in here. He actually tells us, and Nick will share that with us. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are per persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Thank you. All right, so what is Jesus talking about? There's, a, there's, a, there's, obvious, there's, there's a very strong message in this parable. One of the things that, uh, that uh, I think when we come into these uh, situations, and like reading parables and all that, we need to develop a mindset because the people who, who Jesus was preaching to uh, were people who were coming, looking for, they knew what they were coming to. Now, they weren't going to the Red Green Show. They knew what they were going and what they were looking for. They knew who Jesus was for the most part. Uh, they knew that Jesus was um, uh, uh, a rabbi. They knew he was a teacher. 
And also the Jewish people at the same time when they go to this, what are they looking for? They're looking for Messiah. So the people, when they come, when you come to this, they are looking for a purpose in this message. They are looking, and Jesus, for the most part, has their attention and needs to get them. That's why he uses parables. And so back on this parable, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I can't imagine how many sermons there would be just in this parable. So there's part of the dilemma of uh, trying to do all this in, in one shot and then make some kind of inroads into the meaning of the entire thing. But here again, what is Jesus talking about? What's the gist of this whole parable? Well, it's making disciples. That's what he's talking about, about the, the, the seed. The seed is God's word. The field that he's putting this seed into is us, the church. And, uh, and, and when he's talking about producing 30, 60, or 100, he's talking about producing disciples, the Great Commission, the Great Harvest. So, based in this parable, you know, the question is, is what do we need to look at? Well, we need to look at who are we? Who are we? Who am I? Am I fertile soil? Am I rocky soil? Has Jesus' seeds taken plant in me? Has God's seeds taken plant in me? Who is the church? Where are we? Will we produce 30? It doesn't say you've got to produce 1,000, but will we we produce 30? Will we produce 60? Will we produce 100 times? So it's not even so much how much you produce. What he's saying is you will produce. You will build disciples. I attended a training project here uh, back in May called Keystone Project. It's actually a disciple building um, class, and it's in Keystone, South Dakota. It's called the KeystoneProject.org, if anybody's interested in looking up. It's actually where we're going in September to do some work. Now, this class is, it teaches you the importance of disciple building. It teaches you how to build disciples, and, um, uh, uh, and it's very intense. It's a, it was a great class. Um, but one of the first things that I heard that he talked about on the first day was, he said, a church that does not have a disciple-building program in place and working should not be allowed to exist. Strong words. And he says he could prove that in Scripture, so he can back it up. Now, and he says the reason for that, one reason for that is it becomes a, it becomes a distraction. Now, when he first said these words, I got rather upset. I thought, well, who does this guy think he is? You know, I mean, it's like that because that's 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 no light statement. And uh, so I'm, you know, I'm kind of distracted by that. Plus, I'm also thinking, well, if this is the way this week's going to go, it's going to be a long week. And uh, and at the end of the day, 
Um, I actually got up and told him that I did not agree with what he said, and not that the world revolves around me, despite what my wife thinks. Um, but uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. Now, by the end of the week, I had to go back up to that man and apologize and say, you're right. You're absolutely right. A church exists for what? Well, to fulfill the Great Commission, to build disciples. It was a great class. I can highly recommend it. I guess it was kind of an arrogant statement. But uh, it was an absolutely great class. And Keystone actually, I know this is a little pitch, but Keystone actually sends groups of people out. They actually go out and move into these communities. Uh, one of the groups that was there speaking, they, there's two groups that live in Houston, Texas. Live in Houston, Texas. Move right into the immigration, or, you know, where the immigrants live. You know, they move right into their communities, and they live right there. I, I know there's some in Chicago. I mean, they send these people out. They actually take care of them, and they send them out. So they practice what they preach, but they live in this community, and this is what they do. They go into the community, and they build disciples, and they might minister the gospel to people in, in the areas. So I would highly recommend the class. Uh, as far as my opinion is, uh, anybody who's in ministry at any level, I don't care what level you're at, this should be a mandatory, mandatory class. All right, let's look at another parable called Parable of the Weeds. And this is going to be in Matthew 24 and 30. All right, here's another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farm, farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, in the, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? The enemy has done this, the farmer explained. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together till the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put the wheat into the barn. Now Jesus explains this parable. All right? So that's going to be in, well, we'll start at Matthew 36 to 43. Then, leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples said, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, The Son of Man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who live among the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. 
The harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned into fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels. They will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who, will, who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Everyone who hears, who has ears, should listen and understand. What's he talking about here? He's talking about Judgment Day. These are, these are, <laughs> these are strong words. This is tough stuff. Some would say that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. It's not. This is New Testament. This is an Old Testament. This is Jesus. There's another parable we'll go on to called the pearl. That's on Matthew 45 to 46. The kingdom is worth everything you have. The, uh, let me find it. All right. Again, I was actually reading the answer before I ran, ran the parable. So, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the outlook for choice pearls when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. What's he talking about here? He's talking the value of heaven. The kingdom of God. No matter what you have, no matter what you possess, no matter what you cherish on this earth, it's nothing compared to the kingdom that God has in store for us. These parables have a, a lot of in-depth, a lot of thought-provoking, a lot of challenging words to them. I get, uh, sometimes I got to gather myself. I get a little bit, um, anyway. Um, it's like the rich man. We know the story of the rich man that came to Jesus. He says, what, what can I do to follow you? What do I have to do? What did Jesus tell him? He says, to be mine, you have to be willing to give up everything you have. Everything. When the rich man heard this, what did he say? Or what did he do? The rich man turned and walked away, sad. He wasn't willing to do that. Now what did Jesus do? Well, he ran after him. 
He said, well, come on back here. Let's talk about it. Maybe we can work something out. Now, he didn't. What did he do? He talked about how hard it is to get into the kingdom of heaven. There was no negotiation. There wasn't a different plan. There wasn't a change of heart. There wasn't a change of mind. Jesus watched this, watched this man walking away, sad. And then he talks about how hard it is for a rich man or for anybody to get into heaven. Let's take a look at one last parable, if you're lucky. And it's called the fishing net. All right, that's in Matthew 49, no, excuse me, that's in Matthew 47 to 48. Again, the, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water, caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it up onto the shore, sat down, sorted the good fish into crates, crates but threw the bad ones away. Now let's see what, how Jesus explains this parable, 49 to 50. That is the way it will be at the end of the world. The angels will, angels will come, separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and mashing of teeth. Judgment Day. Why did Jesus use parables? Why doesn't he just say it? You know, one of the things is, is you know, why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just say it in his explanation? Why use parables? Well, he tells us why. And that's going to be in Matthew 10 through 13. And I got to find Matthew 10 through 13. I'll read it up here. All right. The disciples came and asked him, Why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you, talking to his disciples, are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teachings, more understanding will be given, and they will have the abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken from them. Now, my first response was, isn't that the truth? How many times do we tell our kids, don't do that? Bad things will happen. Don't do it. 
Well, what do they do most of the time? They do it. You know, they just do it. But what if we tell them the same thing, but we tell them in a story? We use a story to relate to them and to get their attention. When you start telling a child a story, what do you got? You got their attention. Now, if you start lecturing a child, what do you have? You don't have their attention. Now, I'm not insinuating that these people, that Jesus, and that we're children, but yet we are. Jesus says, come to me, and you must be as children. He says that. So he uses the parables to tell us what happens. Now, is it a guarantee that what, when you use a, 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 a story to instruct your child as what not to do or whatever it is, that they won't do it? No. But it does opt up the odds in your favor. So um, I, think, I think this is where people... Now, in my, from what I gather or see is, is people don't take parables very serious in a lot of cases, because they look at a parable as a story. It's a story. And they don't, and a lot of times, and I've, and I've, and I've realized this as I started reading this, a lot of times we'll read a parable. Like, for example, the, the farmer planting the seeds. We'll read the parable. But then we stop there. We stop. And we don't go, we don't go down to the explanation. What is Jesus telling us in the parable? We're allowed to do that in our own interpretation. And here's a case where we have Jesus telling us what he means. These are Jesus telling us what he means. These are red-letter words when he explains this to us. And I think people in the, when they look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament says it point blank. The Old Testament is blunt. This is the deal. Jesus says the same thing. He says the same thing. There's no change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. There isn't anything different in the message other than the way he puts it. There is one difference between the Old Testament and us in the New Testament. There's one life-changing difference. We have Jesus. We've got Jesus. They didn't have Jesus. We got Jesus. Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing with what God says in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. He just says it in a little different way. So what's the message? What's the takeaway? Well, the takeaway is, in the parables, as I see them, and this is what it is, it's God, it's what, what is God? God is calling us. God is calling us to follow him, to obey him, with all that we have in us. And he's also telling us that he is there. When we struggle, when we stumble, when we can't do it on our own strength, he is there. Lean on me. Take me. I will help you through this. We're in this together. He's calling us to produce a harvest. He's calling us to build disciples. 
He's calling us to work on building disciples. We want a large harvest. The gate to heaven is wide. The path to heaven is narrow. We want that path as crowded as it can possibly be. And God is calling on us to be part of that harvest. There will be a judgment day for everybody. Everybody, there will be a judgment day. This is, this is life and death. This is exactly what it is. This isn't the life and death that we're talking about on this earth. This isn't the fact that the death that we're all going to face, you know, we're going to pass on. We're going to go. Then we're going to come into this judgment. We're talking about eternity, life, and death. Spending it with Jesus or perishing in the fire. Despite how some of this may sound, this, this breaks God's heart. I know this breaks God's heart. It breaks Jesus' heart. It breaks my heart. Um, I hope it breaks your heart. Look at the parables closely. Understand the parables. Don't take them lightly. Misinterpreting, misunderstanding can cost you dearly. You have an influence on people. You have influence on people you love, people you care about. They pay attention to what you're doing. If you misinterpret or take a different path, not only will it cost you, it could cost the people you care about, most of all, everything. Jesus doesn't give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. God doesn't tell you you get a pass because somebody misinformed you. We're responsible for who we are. We are required to do this on your own. You want to do this on your own. The question is, who are we? The question is, whose are we? We need to step back. We always need to step back. Some of us need to step farther back than others and see who we are. We have a responsibility, not only to ourselves, but to those we care about and those we haven't even met. Jesus doesn't want fans. He doesn't want fans. He's not looking for a fan club. Jesus wants followers. There's a huge difference. Fans are not disciples. Well, watch this video, I hope, and, um, and then I'll close. It's huge. The, the parables, what Jesus says, what he calls us to, 
it's it's huge and it's and it's a blessing that God will trust us to do that that he asks us to do that what do you have to do people a lot of people will sit there and think well I, what can I do I can't do a lot you know everybody thinks about going to making disciples they think of of huge gatherings and uh, and having this impact that changes the world on a on a whim, and it's like to like you have to make some kind of huge uh, contribution to that. that. That's not the case at all. You you can start with him. He can start with you. It's a little thing. It's like the mustard seed. One small thing, one little plant. You may not see that come. You know, well, that's not true. One day you will see it. You will see what that seed that you have planted will come to when you come to the kingdom of heaven. Things that you don't even realize. That little bit. You may walk away from it and say, I don't know how many times I've, I've been on mission trips and I've walked away from it and I thought, what was that? But I say, you know what? I was called there. What happens from that point on is between them and God. I don't know what will come out of it today, but I know God used it for some purpose. Not a big thing, it's a small thing. But I'll know someday. Let me close us in prayer. And um, thank you for your patience. Of course, the door was locked. But, all right. Father, whatever words I, I say are insufficient. You know what's in people's hearts. You know what's in my heart. I, I, all, I th thank you. Thank you for your holiness, your justness, your unchanging. Father, thank you for your son. In Jesus' name. We give all glory and praise to the Father. Amen. Have a good week.